Hi, I'm Allison Park, a staff reporter at the Yale Daily News, and this is Cross Campus, a YDN podcast. first episode, we'll be covering Yale's identity crisis as the institution and its students grapple with the recent sexual assault allegations against President Trump's Supreme Court Justice nominee, Brett Kavanaugh. We'll be hearing from reporters on their coverage of Kavanaugh's time as an undergrad, reactions at the Yale Law School, and how people have been responding on campus and beyond. But first, a quick catch-up of what's happening. The man you've been seeing all over your television screens and Twitter news feeds is Brett Kavanaugh, a Yale College and Yale Law School graduate nominated to fill the swing seat on an ideologically split Supreme Court. With this key seat, plus the control of Congress post-midterm elections both up for grabs, political stakes are high. But days before Judge Kavanaugh was to be confirmed into a lifetime position at the highest national court, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, a research psychologist from Stanford and former classmate of Kavanaugh's, came forward with accusations of sexual assault from when Kavanaugh was a teenager. I was pushed onto the bed and Brett got on top of me. He began running his hands over my body and grinding into me. I yelled, hoping that someone downstairs might hear me. And I tried to get away from him, but his weight was heavy. Since then, two more women, fellow Yaley Deborah Ramirez and Julie Swetnick, have come forward with their own sexual assault allegations against Kavanaugh. Ultimately, what we're seeing is a he said, she said battle between Kavanaugh and his accusers, particularly Ford as she testified on Thursday at the Senate Judiciary hearing. The next day, the committee voted along party lines to proceed with Kavanaugh's nomination to the full Senate, but under the condition that a week-long FBI investigation be carried out first. That's where we are now. We're in the middle of a major national political moment right now, but at Yale, it feels personal. Yale has produced figureheads of American power from the Bushes to the Clintons, but it also brings together young, privileged men in fraternities and senior societies. In the studio today, we have Haley Fuchs, our news editor who has done extensive investigative reporting on Kavanaugh's undergraduate days. Haley, you've dug through Yale's archives and found information on Kavanaugh ranging from his eating habits, spaghetti with ketchup if I read correctly, to his brief Wadian experience writing pieces on the men's basketball team. So who exactly was Brett Kavanaugh back in 1987? Yeah, so um, Brett Kavanaugh arrived at Yale in 1983. Um, He was here. He joined a fraternity known as Delta Kappa Epsilon. Um, And some of the reporting I've done, we've looked in some some of the hijinks that Delta Kappa Epsilon or Deke did while Brett Kavanaugh was at Yale. Um, We found a photo of members of pledges, uh, of Deke pledges who were known as buttholes, um, carrying a flag uh, with, you know, underwear, women's underwear and women's bras on it, waving around in front of Woodbridge Hall or the university president's office. That sort of hijink, that sort of debauchery was very characteristic of, of Deke at the time. Were these items taken from the women consensually? Uh, you know, I saw a Facebook post from some uh, Yale alumni who said that um, the women who, the, the, the bras were, like, taken from women's rooms, that, like, Deke guys would, like, go into women's rooms and take the bras. However, you know, members of Deke uh, from the time 
uh, said that it was consensual and that the bras and underwear, you know, were taken with permission from, you know, girlfriends of Deke members, things like that. So there are two conflicting accounts there. But regardless, I think that the, you know, the act of waving a flag of bras and underwear outside the university president's office is a, is a statement in itself. Kavanaugh was also um, a member of a, secret, a senior society known as, known as Truth and Courage. Um, to some, it was known as Tit and Clit. Uh, there were a lot of athletes in it. Um, yeah, so that was sort of some of his undergraduate years. You had done some reporting back in July about Brett Kavanaugh's living habits during his law school years. And I think that's where the comment about spaghetti and ketchup came in. But can you talk a little bit more about that? So, yeah. Um, well, Brett Kavanaugh was in law school. Um, in his final year, he lived in a house with, I think, you know, seven or eight other guys. Um, they all were very liberal. They described him as being, um, I think, somewhat messy. And they also said that he was a very plain eater. He really only he really didn't like spicy food, anything like that. He um, they, they told me that he he liked sauce in his pasta or even ketchup, but that was about it. Um, he was a very plain eater. Did they say anything else about his living habits or his political views, or did they offer any other insight into who he was as a person? Yeah, I mean, they spoke about, you know, discussing political issues with him and how he was very receptive, um, something I think that, to me, felt counter to, like, the narrative that is kind of coming out about, like, how he is towards, you know, Democrats and liberals. Um, but I think that more, I, I think that, you know, a lot of the allegations and things in the news that are, you know, that he's facing right now are largely distinct and separate from, you know, what he was like and what he ate in law school. We have Britt O'Dally, our new editor-in-chief and former Student Life Beat reporter, here to discuss his extensive coverage on Deke as it came under fire last winter for sexual assault allegations. Just to kind of put things into context, can you give us a summary of what the allegations were and their administrative consequences? Sure. Uh, pretty much the Deke coverage last year began back in January. So this business insider had gotten the scoop that the former president of Deke had been suspended for, quote, penetration without consent, according to the university-wide committee on sexual misconduct. Uh, so we ended up uh, running, like, we, we also figured this out. We ran that story about Luke Persichetti uh, being suspended for sexual misconduct about a few days before Business Insider ran their story. And then from then on out, I, I think the, the conversation became very, very Deke-centric uh, when it came to s s some aspects of sexual misconduct on campus, obviously not not not, not all of them. But certainly within the sphere of fraternities, uh, eventually in like late February, then we ran the story called called Deke's Open Secret. It was pretty much eight other women came forward, which brought the total number to ten uh, women who were who were speaking about uh, experience their their experience of sexual misconduct within the Deke fraternity. And two days after we ran that story, Yale announced a Title IX investigation into the climate of Deke. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think what's important to know, especially when we talk about Brett Kavanaugh, is that the second Brett Kavanaugh was brought up as the potential new nominee um people on on facebook in the yale social sphere were posting about how he was a, a former a former member of deke uh and i think that that resonated with a lot of yale students immediately in a way that it didn't for the rest of the country since most yale students had been following this coverage and had been thinking very very deeply about the the sexual climate in deke while deke has recently been under scrutiny regarding their sexual climate not everybody at Yale from the 1980s remembers Deke as being as wild and misogynistic as it's considered now. This summer, longtime Yale administrator Sam Chauncey said, quote, Deke was pretty tame back in Kavanaugh's time. 
But recently, you and Haley had put out a story in the news that pictured Deke Brothers waving a flag woven from women's lingerie while Kavanaugh was a sophomore in the group at the time. But knowing that this black and white photo is from the 1980s, do you think this will change the way people view Judge Kavanaugh now? I think it speaks to, obviously, so Judge Kavanaugh is not in the photo but it certainly speaks to the cultural milieu that he was, you know, coming from, and you know which which groups he chose to associate with. I mean, I, obviously, I can't speak to whether or not it should change people's minds, but I think I think it did certainly affect the way people think about his college days. Yale Law School administrator Tony Davis said, "Quote: I don't think we want to be known as the school that produced both the sexual harasser and the sexual assaulter on the Supreme Court." She says that it cheapens the value of a Yale education. Recently, Kavanaugh explicitly drew his connection back to Yale using the I went to Yale line to defend his character against the accusations. I will say, Senator, you're asking about college. Um, I got into Yale Law School. That's the number one law school in the country. What do you think he meant by that? Yeah, I mean, I'm not entirely familiar with that specific moment in uh, the hearings, but if if I if I understand you correctly, and, and you know someone was saying, you know, like you're the, the, these allegations would make you out to be a bad guy, and he's saying like, oh well, you know, I went to Yale. I I think that a, appeals to probably a somewhat dated sense of uh, like romantic attachment to to Yale University and like the the Ivory Tower and and the Ivy League. I don't think that probably 2018 is uh, the era where people particularly prize expertise or or elitism. So, but obviously this is, that, that's, that's more of a national issue. So I probably can't speak to it too much, but certainly within, within the scope of Yale, um, I don't, I don't think people at Yale would even buy that line because I think we've, we've certainly gotten to a point in campus conversation where just because you go to Yale and you were accepted to Yale doesn't mean that people at Yale right now will, will just assume that you're a good person, I think, uh, because the, uh, certainly when, when it comes to sexual misconduct, I think a lot of people on campus think that so much of campus is complicit in in what they believe to be like a negative sexual atmosphere that they wouldn't, at least like his his opponents wouldn't take any stock in that line. But at Yale, students argue that this pattern of sexual assault has become normalized. They say that Kavanaugh is a symptom of a much larger problem where Yale is complicit in giving powerful men power and being complicit when they abuse that power. Where do we see Kavanaugh embody this fear amongst Yaleys? Well, I think that the the story certainly of when you go when you think of Deborah Ramirez's story and how this study took place, you know, Cal, uh, Deborah Ramirez's first year at Yale took place in Lawrence Hall. You know, those specific details I think probably also resonated with a lot of people. I um, mean, certainly when we talk about sexual misconduct on college campuses today, we talk about the red zone, right? How like what is it like the first six or eight weeks? Uh, that female students are on a college campus or really any, any, any students, that's when they're most vulnerable to, to sexual assault or sexual misconduct. What, what I would say is that I'm, I'm sure tons of students on campus who feel very, very strongly about the Kavanaugh allegation have heard that same story, you know, many, many times over about, you know, the, the first year female student at Yale who goes to a party and is having a good time. Then all of a sudden things get out of control and they just don't have that support system and, or it just gets buried and I think that works into a larger frustration about the state of sex, like Yale's sexual atmosphere that apparently dates back all the way to the 80s, if you if you believe the allegation. Um, and, and thus, I think that that is a huge a moral and an emotional cachet 
for Yale students who are who are opposed to Kavanaugh right now. People on Twitter are saying that his frat boy days at Yale helped reinforce his lifestyle as a, quote, highly functioning alcoholic. What can you say about the drinking culture on Yale's campus? Yeah, so back in the 80s, one interesting thing to note was that the residential colleges would actually provide alcohol to students. This was when uh, the drinking age was 18, I think. So I just felt like, like, like well, back then it, was, it would be the masters of the residential college every single Friday or Saturday or something. Uh, like they would just like give out a keg and people would would go to town drinking, uh, and and now the residential colleges cannot you know just so liberally hand out alcohol to to all students of all ages, uh, so that's just like one basic fact to help understand maybe drinking culture wildly at Yale back then. I mean, all we, I don't really know what it was like on a mass scale for students, but with Kavanaugh, the two important things probably to recognize are. You know, number one, he gave this Yale Law School speech where he, he remembers like stumbling, you know, on like the streets of New Haven, very, very drunk. Um, like one of his close friends also kind of referred to him apparently by this like pseudonym. It was like something O'Kavanaugh talking about how he had like a drinking problem in high school. And then number two, uh, at least talking to his Deke brothers from the 80s, they still defend him. They say, you know, like, OK, yeah, like we would drink every now and then. Sometimes we would drink too much. But like who doesn't at some point in college drink too much? And then, like, you know, you have a lot of students, uh, especially like female students from the 1980s, who remember Kavanaugh saying, oh, no, this guy was always drunk. Or his, like, roommates, uh, his, his, I think his first-year roommate also had, like, has said a, said, said, said a few things about him always coming back to the room drunk. Uh, so, once again, competing, competing narratives and storylines, but certainly I think that drinking was a more liberal activity back in the 1980s at Yale in general. Did you happen to talk to any of his colleagues or any of his classmates and frat mates um, from that period of time as well? Yeah, so there was um, Steve Gallo is, is, is somebody I, I certainly spoke to, and he became, he was a year under Kavanaugh, I think, and he eventually became president of Deke. Uh, but, I mean, he, he said that Kavanaugh was always the smartest guy in the room, was quiet, nice, uh, but, you know, it was this fant- amazing, fantastic, humble, unassuming intellect that everybody really appreciated that, you know, that he liked sports, but on the whole was a pretty reserved person. I spoke to, you know, Chris Dudley as well, who is uh, a former NBA player, also was very, very close with Brett back in their time together at Yale. So he knew him well. And, and he said that, yeah, you know, like we would get together, we would drink, but he, he said that he had never, he never saw Kavanaugh even touch a girl at his time at Yale. Uh, though then again, like he's one of Kavanaugh's best friends from Yale. So uh, you can, you you can you can I guess like take all these memories from the 1980s with a with a grain of salt, but pretty much like the insights from the Deke brothers that yeah this was like a nice guy very very reserved certainly was no party animal as like the mass media is making him out to be, uh, and was always like the smartest guy in the room and everybody recognized that you know like, this was the guy or like like the way Chris Dudley put it to me was that you know this is the guy that like, if you missed a lecture, like you'd want to reach out to him to get his notes. Cause like he was definitely there. He was definitely taking comprehensive notes. But in an exclusive interview with Bloomberg news yesterday, Chad Luddington, Kavanaugh's friend during his time at Yale expanded on his initial Sunday statement to the New York times, where he explicitly opposed this characterization of Kavanaugh. Luddington accused Kavanaugh of being dishonest during his hearing when he downplayed his drinking habits in college. Luddington said that Kavanaugh was often belligerent and aggressive when drunk. He said it was, quote, sort of a general feature of hanging out with Breton College. According to Luddington's account, 
While at a bar together during the fall of their junior year, Kavanaugh responded to a semi-hostile remark by throwing his beer in a man's face and starting a fight that ended with a mutual friend in jail. In the interview, Ludington said Chris Dudley also participated in the fight that night. One of the biggest accomplishments for a law school is to have one of their alum land a seat on the Supreme Court. But recently, the faculty at the Yale Law School have supported the call to delay Kavanaugh's confirmation with a full FBI investigation, including law school dean Heather Gerken, who had initially pledged to remain silent and unbiased throughout the process. We have Alice Park and Serena Cho, two of our sophomore university reporters, in the studio today to discuss their recent reporting on the Kavanaugh crisis. You guys have been co-reporting a lot recently, especially on the law school. Can you walk me and our listeners through your coverage? Sure. So I began digging into Kavanaugh and kind of student reactions to his confirmation proceedings last week. So I, as I was speaking to these students, I could tell there was a lot of frustration building up. I talked to the organizers who planned a big sit-in at the law school. So that happened on Monday. And over 300 students, including undergraduates and law school students and faculty, um, protested the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh, as well as calling, and they also called for like more from the administration. And then as that was taking place, over 100 law school students went to D.C. to protest directly there. And then throughout these protests, they were calling for um, Yale Law School Dean Heather Gerken to take a firmer stance on the allegations against Judge Kavanaugh. And the protest took place right after the second allegation by a Yale College alumna um, was published. So there was a lot of um, kind of pain in the building that day. In July, the law school issued a controversial press release where law school dean Heather Gerken and five Yale law professors lauded Kavanaugh's legal accomplishments and mentorship. But a little over a week ago, 50 Yale law faculty members signed an open letter that said an allegation of sexual assault requires a, quote, fair and deliberate confirmation process through neutral fact finders and an investigation. What were the turning points that prompted the law school to change their initial stance and get involved? Well, I think what Dean Gerken would say would be the American Bar Association calling for an investigation on Thursday evening. Even within the law school, there were a lot of students and a lot of faculty members who agreed with her on this. And I think the American Bar Association's letter kind of was the little push that allowed her to, like, um, in good faith, take that stance without it appearing too political. You two co-bylined a very interesting piece on how the Kavanaugh protests brought a sense of deja vu to the response to the Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill allegations and how these events are shaping Kavanaugh's confirmation hearings several years later. How did this story come to light? I mean, there are obvious parallels um, in the two cases, and Alice and I were looking through the YDN archives and looking at how students had reacted to Anita Hill's testimony versus how they're reacting now. Sure. And before we do that, I just want to point out, we're not the first to point out the parallels between Anita Hill and Mm -hmm. these allegations, but I think from a Yale perspective, there are a lot of um, similarities and differences from the Yale, like, student body responses back in 1991. Um, So kind of the 
most obvious similarity is just like the nature of the allegations of sexual misconduct. Um, but I think what's really different this time around is after the Me Too movement that's really um, brought the issue of sexual assault and harassment into the like national spotlight, um, people were very coordinated in their efforts to um, call for action and call for an investigation. And another key difference is that um, while the protests back then took place after Clarence Thomas got confirmed, it's taking place before Kavanaugh's confirmation now. Um, so that's another apparent difference um, between the two cases. For students on campus, the Kavanaugh crisis hits home. This national issue has turned into a major Yale New Haven reckoning with the power it produces. I mean, Judge Kavanaugh allegedly sexually assaulted Deborah Ramirez in the same freshman dorm that several of my friends in Styles have lived in last year. Just knowing the nature of Yale and its culture of breeding people in power, I've also been hearing women recently talking about men that they know saying things like, what if he's the next Brett Kavanaugh? Around campus, there have been signs of support pinned up on bulletin boards, phone bake events through the Women's Center, and rallies around campus. And this isn't just a few people coming together, though. I mean, hundreds of students have been attending these events, posting about these events on Facebook, and hundreds more are tweeting about it. Valentina Connell, a junior in Timothy Dwight College, helped organize a rally known as Solidarity with Survivors, Rally for a Better Yale. So you've organized the rally and talked to many students and stakeholders in the Kavanaugh crisis. What would you say is the general campus consensus regarding these allegations? Students, I would say, are reacting really positively to the rally. Um, we had around maybe like 200 or more people show up around the women's table, which was really powerful. Uh, Dean Shun and other members of the Yale College administration were also there. In terms of Kavanaugh, people are definitely um, super angry and upset um, and shocked, but not really surprised that this occurred at Yale because it still happens today, which is the really sad part. I don't know, for me personally, before I came to college, I never expected um, how like bad it would like how pervasive sexual misconduct and disrespect would be on this campus now that we've had this rally and like we're continuing to organize um, people are realizing that like their voice and their thoughts do matter what is it exactly about this whole situation that students find to be the most anger inducing and the most problematic so I think a lot of the um, the hurt that people are feeling right now comes from the fact that, hey, this happened with Anita Hill um, and people like didn't take her seriously and that was in the 90s. Um, and now people are not taking um, these women seriously who are coming forward with um, allegations of sexual misconduct. Um, with the amount of people I know who have experienced sexual misconduct on this campus, like Yale is going to continue to produce powerful people who have used their power unless we do something about it. So Britt, news seems to be moving at the speed of light these days, and it seems like every time I refresh my Twitter feed, there's some new honesty breach found through fact-checking, or a new quote, or some kind of new development in the whole Kavanaugh crisis. So going forward, what should we be keeping our eye on? That's a very good question. I think going forward, we should 
number one, keep an eye on specifically within the Yale community. I think it's really keeping an eye on how Yale Law School handles this. Um, and it's also keeping an eye on, I mean, you know, if like what other allegations might come out of Yale. Uh, certainly, because I mean, if you have like a week of, you know, intensified media scrutiny on, on Kavanaugh's time, time at Yale, it, it's, it's certainly, I'd be, I'd be very, very curious to see what that turns up. Uh, so I think it just, yeah, keep, keep, keep your eye on Yale is what I'd say. And also certainly keep your eye on how the Yale Law School administrators handle the crisis. That's it for this episode of Cross Campus. I'm Allison Park, and I'll talk to you in our next episode.